This is uh, Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth and my Tuesday morning Bible study as we continue the book of Esther, beginning in Esther chapter 3 today. Um, so I told you that one of the things that's important for us to remember that the book of Esther is used in a religious festival called Purim. The In the aspect of Purim, they, they have... Uh, readings from the Torah, the half Torah, and it's not H-A-L-F Torah. It's H-A-F-T-A-R-A-H. So it's a different, uh, it's not even like this is half of the Torah. It's just a, another type of reading. So you have Torah, half Torah, half Torah, but that's how we'd pronounce it. But they say Torah. And then they read from uh, these things throughout the year. Well, at this service, for example, I wanted to read uh, what my commentary says, because Dr. Levin is, is wanting us to understand what's actually happening here. So Haman, you have to have a bad guy, right? <laughs> like you, you've got to have a bad guy in the midst of the story. For, remember, for them, Esther doesn't have to be a real person, and Haman doesn't either. But the idea of what has happened in captivity and enslavement to the Jews is real. And, and the, the conversation about what happened to them is real. And the most beautiful part for me is, is the idea of this conversation. They, they, they look at it in a way of saying, how do we talk about this um, and not cry all the way through it? Right. Like, how do we talk about all of this trauma that's been brought to not just an individual, but to an entire nation of people over and over and over again? How do we how do we have this discussion? And so uh, there's there's a lot of darkness, but it's a dark humor of what's happening in these moments. So, for example, that the commentary talks about uh, the of course, our adversaries are going to promote bad people so this sniveling little snake oil salesman Haman is going to get elevated like the rest of them that we have seen over time you see how that works and then and then right off the bat he starts to the, they start to talk about where he's from well he's you know he's he's the Agagite right he's he's one of those people uh he's a descendant of uh, Agag or the uh, Amalekite king responsible for the Saul's loss of his kingship, you know, so like this is a this is a big deal, and they would have remembered this story. Uh, the the conversation between Israel and uh, uh, Amalek informs the relationship between Haman and Mordecai. So here's the king who's an Amalekite, and Haman the Agog or Agog, you know, um, and so the Amalekite connection is reinforced in the synagogue lectionary. Uh, when they read this right before the festival of Purim, which, by the way, is read in Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, verses 17 through 19. Remember, I'm not coming up with this. This is from my commentary. So <laughs> don't think I'm coming up with this moment. But as my commentary also continues to say, and it's also read in the half Torah uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 15, which actually contains the story of Saul and Agag. Oh, I had it backwards. Sorry, I do that all the time. I get the names backwards. Um, we've already had five 
cups of wine by this point in the festival <laughs> of Purim. So uh, Saul and the Agag are the problem, not the Amalekite. On Purim itself, the t- Torah is based from obviously Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16, the battle between Israel and uh, Amalek. Um, and so both Targumin to Esther uh, extend Haman's genealogy back to, get this, Esau. <laughs> so uh, so it's a really cool conversation that they have, and they tie it all the way back to Genesis chapter 26. I mean, 36. Uh, so it, even, even then, even more extending the rivalry between Mordecai and Haman. So I, I want you to see how creative this story is. Not only is it about his lineage, it's also about uh, his his people and his understandings. And it just goes on and on and on. So the people, as they're hearing this story, you could see like, oh, yeah, you remember this? Oh, yeah, you remember this? Now, for us as Christians in the 21st century, we we haven't been told that story. Right. We've we've discussed it. We've had conversations about it, but not necessarily lived it. So this is that's part of the the big important thing for us to take. So a lot of chapter three is exaggerated. I really want you to pay attention to the exaggeration. So I think the Dr. Levin talks about um, when they bow low. Um, it talks about uh, specifically things that Haman is doing to get the king's favor, and Mordecai is in the background, not really being paid attention to at some point um there was something else that i wanted to bring to your attention ultimately though the story is not about haman it's about the person who always is continuing to plot to kill the jews there's always in their history someone of of great leadership that has twisted and created such a way that we're going to kill them. Um, and the the humor, and, and I say that lightly, is, is that, and we survived. <laughs> you see? Is there any other race that's been targeted as much as the Jewish race for just elimination of the race? I mean, in our own country, I would say even Native Americans in some ways have been targeted over and over again in different ways. Um, but none of that has been as documented as the Hebrew culture. Like, so like trying to wipe out the tribes in the, so we could have the land. Right. There, 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 I, I remember there being conversations about in Central America. Um, when you, when you go to Nicaragua, for example, there's a huge conversation about when Samosa was in power, and then it goes all the way. Their whole story isn't about Samosa. It's it's talking about the conquistadors. So they're talking Samosa. They're using his language. This is what happened when he was our ruler. But then you look at the murals, and it's murals of conquistadors from the 14 and 1500s. You know, so like there's this this crazy image that's taking place. So so you see it visually through other cultures in Asia. Uh, there was, uh, you know, Genghis Khan basically is trying to wipe out whole tribes as if they never existed. And there are tribes that never existed because of that. Again, very little documentation anthropologically. So 
Can I interject another? And this could be a rabbit hole question that could answer our time. It's okay, man. Um, are the Jews a race mm. of people? It's a great question. We use that all the time. I, I use it myself. Yeah. So, yes and no. Okay. Um, it, it's a, it's really hard for Christians to understand. You you can be Jewish by birth. You can be Jewish by faith practice. And uh, you can be Jewish by um, nationality. So I'm born in Israel does not mean I'm Jewish. <clears throat> Make sense? The only way that one can be Jewish by birth is, is that your mom had to have been. Um, you, you can be Jewish by practice, by, uh, going to the rabbi, going to like, they have a confirmation in a catechism class, just like we do, mm -hmm. uh, in the Christian cultures. Um, and you could become Jewish. Um, it's a little bit harder to do, um, because they have an understanding of adoption where Christians really are like, well, you know, and. Jewish culture does not necessarily delineate that. Um, and then then there's the tribe thing. So you you could be born into the tribe of such and such, but as a nationality, I'm born in Israel, so I'm an Israelite. It doesn't make you Jewish. Does that make sense? It's complicated. It is. Okay. It's very complicated. I met a lot of Jews when I was in Israel that said my mom was Jewish, but I'm not practicing. Right. Just like Catholics. So think, Jews that are a Jew because of religious practice, how are they accepted by the true Jews? Well, there's in their world, there is no such thing as just a true Jew. That's the part that's hard for us to understand. Because you could be Jewish in all kinds of ways in their world, which is really hard. You know, as Christians, we're like, yeah, but you're either this or you're not. In the Jewish culture, it's 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 never a either or it's a both and so you so like let's say there's very few that are part of the 12 tribes that are practicing jews uh that practice the jewish faith today okay there are more people that have been enamored and found the presence of the divine in the practice of judaism that are not a part of the 12 tribes that's the part that's really hard for us to understand. And I'm going to just like, there's not like a Jewish skeletal structure or a Jewish nose or, oh, yeah. um, or, you know what I mean? No, 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 okay. no. That is, that is a hundred percent propaganda that was right. created by the Nazi empire and Martin Luther. If I'm being completely honest, Martin Luther literally writes in one of his uh, documents specifically pointing out their pointed noses mm -hmm. and from that point on that racist propaganda continued to say well i could tell they were jewish by the shape of their nose from martin luther not that i'm bitter right. i'm getting round right. up but uh, and the origin is is Ab abraham i guess right sort of where the stories well maybe before that too but it's a family not necessarily a, a race i i don't know i, I no, for, for them yeah no you shouldn't you should you're you're not you're not jewish and, and you're not a part of the 12 tribes so it's it's a hard conversation so the the we're gentiles mm -hmm. you know it's so the 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 lineage always ties back to the 12 tribes it's got to be the boys 
Mm-hmm. Uh, not not the daughter, which is really frustrating for scholars, but you know, that's the way it was. So there's 12, 12 boys, and they can tie themselves to it. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> that just makes them Israeli you and, and Jewish because their ancestry was Jewish. Right. But it doesn't mean that they have to practice Judaism. Right. So when when you're when you're there and they say, Yeah, I'm Jewish. Oh, cool. Where do you go to synagogue? Well, I don't go to synagogue. Right. <laughs> but well, how do you how can you be Jewish? Because we all know that in order to be Jewish, you have to do it in a community. They're like, I'm in my community. I'm in Israel. How more Jewish can I be? Right. Well, do you know anything about that? No, we don't know anything about that. Why? Why would that? Is that important? Well, that's just the west wall of the temple. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, it's cool. The uh, you know the tourists come and check it out. Now here's the thing. <laughs> I've left out orthodoxy completely because it gets even more complicated. But the short version of that is the culture then changed, thanks to Martin Luther, uh, truly appreciate him, um, that we created orthodox Jews that said, you're right. You can't tell us differently from the Christians. So they reenacted and re-grasped their roots and said, we're going to live back in the Torah, which is where the phrase kosher came from so they followed kosher dietary laws and they focused in on the way that they dressed and then you start to see images specifically like fiddler on the roof uh this because it happened more in eastern europe than it did anywhere else and slowly after that group continued to grow uh orthodox judaism uh then paid attention but they don't tie their lineage directly to the 12 tribes because they're adopted they're practicing Jews. Right. It's, I, one last thing. I have a friend who is Jewish who was adopted uh-huh. into a Jewish family, and he doesn't go to temple. He doesn't practice anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's probably as secular as a person as I've, I've ever met. A yep. great fellow, too. Um, but he's Jewish. Yep. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Which is very hard for us to understand because in our world, it's either you are or you're not. We're very black and white. Christians uh, don't have multiple layers of gray where Judaism does. Catholicism gets more of a multiple layers of gray. And we just say, oh, that's because they're Catholic. Um, but you know, if you talk about Christians, Protestant Christians, it's like, well, you're either a part of us or you're not. It's really hard for us to fathom. That's why Jews are, though, with Gentiles. Yeah, that's exactly how the Jews are with Gentiles. Oh, well, you know, Gentiles will never understand it. And look at, it was a great question, because here's Haman, right? Haman obviously is a Gentile. And what is he trying to do? Well, he is obviously trying to kill us. Why? Well, we don't know. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the way that we do our ceremonies. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Why would he do this? Well, I don't know. Here comes Mordecai, you know. So you can see the absurdity even in the Purim festival of the Gentile perspective of Judaism. Like it's a, it's like a, Oh, look at what Haman is doing because he doesn't like, he doesn't like us. That's okay. We still survived. I, I yeah. think though, that for me is, is my prejudices. I cannot dislike anybody in this room. I mean, I don't dislike anybody in this room. But you talk about somebody, well, just since we're talking about the Jews, well, I don't like the Jews. You know, why? Well, because then I can rattle off a whole list. Mm-hmm. You know, it's somebody I don't know. 
Right. I mean, you know, and, and I think that to some extent, of course, the Jews are interlopers. You want to look at them that way. They're, they don't belong. Talk about this story. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, those that are on the recording, he didn't call them that. He was talking about it in the story. Yeah, <laughs> very specifically in the story. Yeah. So they're, I think it's the same problem that they always have. They're easy targets because they claim something elsewhere. Right. They, they don't say, I am Persian. Right. You know, they may be living there. Anyway, I'm just saying automatically, unfortunately, they end up being a target. And I think any, when you just talk about other groups, I was thinking of the gypsies. Yep. They're, they're, they don't claim anything. No. And e even the Native Americans amongst themselves, they were kind of like, like water bubbles. They, they moved around. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, 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 they didn't have exact borders. The, uh, the the reason that I tied them to the Native American tribes is because is Israelites, the 12 tribes, were nomadic. They traveled where the water was, where they were farming, just like our Native American tribes. And so for them, it was like, why? What, what have we done wrong? We're just going from one place to the next. We're not hurting anybody. And yet when they go to the next place and there's this Persian army and says, aha, we've caught you. And they're like, well, what it caught us how? Like we were just going from one place to the next. And I put it similarly to the Native American tribes. I'm, I'm agreeing. I'm just saying they're, they, yeah. they, you can't say, oh, there's that kingdom over there. Right. You know, and I hate to say this, but Manifest Destiny made it very easy because, look, they can go anywhere. That's right. They don't care. Nope. And we, we're going to, we're going to do something. <laughs> That's right. So this really, really sets it up for Haman. He's a bad guy. Uh, he's a super bad guy, and he is the, the epitome of bad dudes. So, any more questions? That was a really good discussion. Okay, here we go. Sometime afterward. Now, remember, afterward is after they've impaled guys and stuck them out in the courtyard, right? Uh, from the king's decision-making because Mordecai told him what had happened, right? King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite. He advanced him and seated him higher than any of his fellow officials. All the king's courtiers in the palace knelt, oh, palace gate, knelt and bowed low to Haman. For such was the king's order concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel or bow low. Then the king's courtiers who were in the palace gate said to Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's order? When they spoke to him day after day and he would not listen to them, they would they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's resolve would prevail, for he had explained it to them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel or bow low to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, having been told who Mordecai's people were. Haman plotted to do away with all the Jews, Mordecai's people throughout the kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, that is, the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, Ur, which means the lot, was caught 
cast before Haman concerning every day and every month until it fell on the twelfth month. That is the month of Vidar. Haman, Haman said um, that to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the other peoples in all the provinces of your realm, whose laws are different from those of any other people, and who do not obey the king's laws, and it is not in your majesty's interest to tolerate them. If it please your majesty, let an edict be drawn for their destruction, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the stewards for deposit in the royal treasury. Thereupon the king removed his signet ring from his hand. Now that's very important. Uh, signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman and son of Amadatha the Agagite, the foe of the Jews. And the king said, the money and the people are yours to do with it as you see fit. And on the 13th day of the first month, the king's scribes were summoned and a decree was issued as Haman directed to the king's satraps, to the governors of every province, province and to the officials of every people to every province in its own script and language and to every people in its oh yeah it says in language the orders were issued in the name of king ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet accordingly written instructions were dispatched by court couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy massacre and exterminate all the jews young and old children and women on a single day on the 13th day of the 12th month, that is in the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions, the text of the document was to the effect that a law should be proclaimed in every single province, and it was so it was to be publicly displayed to all the peoples, so they may be ready for that day. Couriers went out post-haste on the royal mission, and the decree was proclaimed in the fortress Shushan, and the king and Haman sat down to feast. But the city of Shushan was dumbfounded. So, uh, how much had uh, Haman had to drink when? I mean, the, the king had to drink when he the ring and gave it to That's a lot. <laughs> What's a the lot. significance of giving him the ring? I want to know. You're literally giving the power of the king to this person that is not the king. Okay. No one can have it except him. Yeah, you okay. can't tell who's. So like Haman is the one writing all these commands and then putting the king's That's right. seal on it. So it's as as though from the king's mouth. That's right. It's a really big deal. So there's an image of this, right? Like of Joseph. Because the Pharaoh asks Joseph to take care of all of the lands and gives him all the power. And what does he do? Well, he takes care of all the, the Israelites or Jewish people or Hebrews at this point and all the Egyptians. And he doesn't abuse the power. Here it shows, well, look, Haman is going to abuse the power, just like any of the rest of those people that have always tried to come get us. I have another question. Um, did the king, like I have NIV and it said, the king said that uh, Mordecai keep the money. Is that kind of the... Said what, to Haman. Haman, I'm sorry, said to, said to Haman, keep the money and do with the people as you please. And what you're reading, I wasn't sure how, if it meant he was saying the same thing, like, or was the king saying, I'll take the money and you do it. At verse 11? Uh, yes. Mine says, and the king said, the money and the people are yours to do with you as okay, you see so He said, I don't, I'm not even taking the money for this. Right. You, you just do it. And here's my ring. Go for it. 
And of course, we're being rational. They didn't need to capture these people and bring them to Persia at all. No. How they want to get rid of them. You didn't have to bring them to begin with. So why did the king want to do that? Because Haman told him he should. Haman and said they don't obey your laws. Yeah. He um, doesn't have time to worry so it's about not, what he's going on. It's not good for you, you when somebody is blatantly not following your rules. And many other stories can be like that with Daniel and the lion's den and um, uh, the burning. Well, he was in uh, slave captured too. Right. But uh, he wouldn't do what he the king said, you know, or, or what somebody did with the king's authority. This is what Jesus was doing. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. accused of doing. Yes. What but is with the, his own culture. Yeah. The last part of the chapter, it says the city of Shusha, and that like that seemed to be important that when it got there, they were bewildered or something. Well, that's just where the fortress is. That's the capital. This is the capital. Of the oh, time. okay. Okay. That's where the king is. I don't know if it was like a Jewish settlement or something like that. I think also that they're going to do it on Friday the 13th because they said 13th. Right now. It's a lot. So, There's a lot. So might as well be Friday. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's right. Actually, Purim is, I looked it up, is going to be celebrated March 6th. It's coming up. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, yeah, it's, starts it's right around the corner. Uh, in the evening on March 6th and then goes to the end of the day on the 7th. We're all going to get together and play dice that night? Sure. So my, parents, <laughs> my parents always celebrated that day. <laughs> their anniversary. That's funny. Uh, I do want to point out one thing that's really important here as far as language issues. The word poor is Akkadian. Uh, our commentary points that out. Uh, the casting of lots by means of a small stone die is known for ancient from ancient Mesopotamia. Interestingly enough, well, they did it in in Exodus too. I mean, that was mm -hmm. their the priest's method of finding out what was right. That's right. And uh, it was also used in Israel and Greece. Um, the obviously the month that they're putting a lot of focus in is Adar. So for us, we say, well, that must be the month of March because that's what we still do today. Um, this is the interesting thing about. Uh, Part of our discussion here is, is that Haman's accusation against the Jews contains the essence of what was later to grow into the classic anti-Semitic argument that the Jews are xenophobic and misanthropic. Uh, so they were all about their race and they didn't have to bow down to other people. And that's why it's hard for us, because we've we've come to the understanding, well, are the Jews a race? Are they practicing religion? Are they this they weren't xenophobic though, because they oh no, all their laws had to do with accepting people that are That's staying right. in your area. It's just that when they use this passage, they say, Oh, this <laughs> is just proving, you know, this is yet proving it once again. I think they're stereotyping them also again, and I'm talking about Haman here. It's nothing previous to this has the king erred right. about. I mean, you know, they had a festival and you could drink or not drink. You could eat or you didn't have to eat. I mean, you know, you could do whatever you wanted. But uh, why why target this one group of many under this empire? And it's only because of Haman, really, right? Because Haman is the only reason that this even happens. He becomes the thorn. I could imagine the fear that you would feel if you read this uh, message that a certain day is coming that you're basically going to be wiped out. Uh, it's basically going to be a lawless day in a way. People can be able to do 
whatever they want. And there's some kind of movie. I haven't seen it before, but it's something more like one day a year, you know, it's, it, the, it's lawless. People do all they what they the want. Purge. The purge. I haven't seen it. I also yeah. don't know anything about it, but it's an interesting concept mm-hmm. of this one day that, you know, if you, if you have an enemy, you can take it. You can even what? say, Oh, I thought, I thought that person mm-hmm. was, was a Jew. I didn't look at the temperature, but, and kills everybody. Right. I mean, Everybody, everybody, you know how bad he has to be that you're gonna wipe out an entire race to get back at Mordecai. I mean, right. he's after one person, so that's it. Yeah, he's he's doing it. Oh, I'm didn't try to get Mordecai, I was just he's part of the collective, and it's literally just because he didn't bow 68. I it up 70. I think he had a bad back. Uh, that's possibly <laughs> i totally understand he had knee surgery yeah he had know. knee surgery mm-hmm. <laughs> now again and why didn't uh why didn't mordecai like haman i mean is it you don't bow to another king to, okay so if he had made an edict to bow before the king mordecai he still wouldn't, wouldn't have even done do it. it he would stand i mean like yeah. if queen elizabeth had come still wouldn't have done it he wouldn't have done it <laughs> Yeah, that's the whole point. And I wouldn't either. So, so. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was part of that. That's the the common thread throughout the Hebrew Bible is is that one does not bow before a human king. Yeah, these knees aren't hitting the ground for anyone no, but but God, God but Jehovah. That's right. What about temple? And I'm asking this just out of complete ignorance. How, how so? Would, would the priest would they bow to the priests? I mean, no, they don't I bow don't to the so. priests. No. Okay. I'm, I'm, no, just... it's a great question. I think uh, I had to think about that for a minute. I mean, I know that in one of the Jewish practices there is a bowing, but I think it's at the offering when you're when you're placing your offering at the altar. I think you bow to God at that moment. I think that's it. Like I think that's literally it, because from that point on, you just you just don't bow to humans in, in their prayers or their. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of uh, when you're praying, mean, they're, to they're God. praying to God. I mean, right. I just didn't know if that was like a, a bow or. Yeah, there's a there's a bowing and praying, and again, so that would have happened if if they did it together. Again, the worst part about this, folks, is is that we don't have a a, a video of how they did worship back then. That's the part that stinks. And so, yeah, right. Like David liked to worship with alcohol, dancing naked in the field, uh, everywhere that he can, you know, I mean, David was not the example we want to take, Uh, but the rest of them, there's, there is bowing involved, but never is bowing. I mean, without the fear of death, right. Do you bow down to someone that is not, your ruler god so um so I, I think that's that's a good point like i think that's really something for us to discuss it, we don't we don't know exactly how they worship but i do know that bowing does happen in prayer i could say that confidently that it's always bowing to god it's always that bowing to god that. right because you're talking to god so if uh, we we've got time we could probably get through Chapter, uh, yeah, we could get to chapter four. It's only 17 verses. So, Roman hands out this edict, uses the king's signet, goes out all over the provinces to all the people to everywhere in the whole wide world, and 
It gets to Shushan and everybody's like, what in the world is going on? So Mordecai and Esther find out about this. And so then they plan ways to save the Jewish people. Uh, yeah, and I'm just going to leave it there. We're going to read and then we'll talk some more. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. That's a, an important Jewish thing that happens throughout. Job does this, you know, Elijah does this, uh, Balaam does this. It's all it's all over the place. He went through the city crying out loudly and bitterly until he came in front of the palace gate, for one could not enter the palace gate with wearing sackcloth. Also in every province that the king's command and decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing. And everybody lay in sackcloth. This is huge. Everybody lay in sackcloth and ashes. Says many. Many? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, when Esther's maidens and eunuchs came and informed her, the queen was greatly agitated. She sent clothing for Mordecai to wear so that he might uh, take off his sackcloth. But he refused. Thereupon Esther summoned Hathach. One of the eunuchs, uh, whom the king uh, had appointed to serve her, and sent him to Mordecai to learn the way, why, and wherefore it all, of it all. Hathak went out, learned the why, and oh, went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the palace gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and all about the money that Haman had offered to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him the written gave him the written text of the law that had been proclaimed in Shushan for their destruction, and he bade him show it to Esther and inform her, and charge her to go to the king and to appeal to him and to plead with him for her people. When Hathak came and delivered Mordecai's message to Esther, Esther told Hathak to uh, to take back to Mordecai the following reply. All the king's courtiers and the people of the king's provinces know that if any person, man or woman, enters the king's presence in, in inner court without having been summoned, there is but one law for him, that he be put to death. Only if the king extends the golden scepter to him may he live. Now, I have not been summoned to visit the king for the last 30 days. When Mordecai was told what Esther had said, Mordecai had this message delivered to Esther. Do not imagine that you, of all the Jews, will escape with your life by being in the king's palace. On the contrary, if you keep silent in this crisis, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from another quarter, while you and your father's house will perish. And who knows? Perhaps you have attained to royal position for just a crisis. Then Esther sent back this answer to Mordecai. Go assemble all the Jews who live in Shushan and fast in, on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and my maidens will observe the same, fa uh, same fast. Then I shall go to the king, though it, con though it is contrary to the law, and if I am to perish, I shall perish. So Mordecai went about the city and did just as Esther had commanded him. Yeah. I don't know if the, the people in the palace knew that she was Jewish. Uh yeah. No, there's not it was always on the down low, as they say. Mm 
I'm just reading my uh, commentary here uh, from another quarter in Jewish tradition. Mi machom acher is interpreted as a reference of God. Hamachom is the omnipresent in rabbinical writings. Remember, I always kind of tell you that in the Hebrew Bible, there's this understanding of God, uh, mother, uh, which we get in like Isaiah, uh, like a mother hen wraps its arms around its uh, fold. And then there's the father version of God. And then there's this omnipresent God or um, which is uh, does everything right. Like it's, it's not the God of deliverance, but it is the God of deliverance. Um, it, it's it's funny because when when we're taught the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Bible is always well. God in the Old Testament is mean and nasty and vengeful, and we we somehow we have tr have attributed that to the Father version of Hebrew, like God the Father destroys. Um, that's not what's happening here. For example, this Hebrew part, if you read the Hebrew version, not the Greek, the Hebrew version of this, it's the omnipresent, which is usually the one that does the destruction. Um, the, the father is the creator in, in the Hebrew Bible. The mother is uh, the procreator or the protector. Uh, and then the omnipotent one, the, I can't remember, the hamachom. Is the uh, the omnipresent one the you 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 don't do this Esther it's 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 on you the Hamachom is will take care of you and and not in a good way right so this is that this is not wrathful or vengeful this is this is how God takes care of you in this case it's a it's a nature of God rather than a a gender of God I think that's the word I'm looking at you mentioned it earlier. There's just an assumption that these are all good practicing Jewish people. Right. And don't know what status Mordecai has, but he has same status because he's at the gates or inside the gates or I mean he, he gets close. He's yeah, he's not also, far. Yeah. This also ends with Esther control. Right. I mean thank you. For pointing that out. So it goes from Mordecai. The story is typically told from the perspective of Mordecai, but then, then it flips. Esther then becomes in control in the sense of, but is she really in control? She She's going to go fast and she's going to tell the harem that we're going to fast. Well, not in control as in God-like control. Right. But in, in control is that she's suggesting that She's going to do all this, and they should follow suit. Right. It's manipulation. It's Mordecai manipulating her. Yes, he is. And what he's telling her to do, and make her feel guilty. Manipulate the harem to do what Mordecai asked her to. Yeah, told her to do. Well, threatened her to do. Verse fourteen, I think, is an interesting verse. I think it's fourteen. Yep, that's that's where the Hamachom is. Oh, is that right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and he he basically sounds like he says, you know, if you stay silent, there's going to be another way that our people are going to be saved. Mm -hmm. But you could be part of this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you could. I just kind of like that thought that uh, you know, 
just because one person chooses not to obey God, that doesn't mean God's not going to move some other way, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a person can choose to be part of what God is doing or step back. Not, not really, because if you don't do it, your you and your family will be will perish. That's a choice. <laughs> it's something that that's been stuck with me also through all of this. Uh, back to, you know, they're not going to synagogue or whatever, but I think they they haven't broken any rules. No, even I mean Esther, where she's at, she's not married. She's the queen, right? But she's not married. I mean, they're they they don't seem to have stepped <laughs> over any boundaries in all of this. They're she's doing what she's been told. <laughs> in I guess what I'm trying to say is in their religion, as little as I understand it, in God's, in the Ten Commandments, they haven't broken any, is where I'm headed at. That's correct. They have not, and so the story really shifts into they continue to live Torah. Esther has not been obviously following the dietary law. That's part of the interesting conversation for when you look at it from a rabbinical perspective, is that she's doing what she has to to survive. And so there's moments that you can break that tradition so that you can survive. Right. So there's uh, this was a really I'm trying to figure out how I want to bring this conversation into that. When. The more the more I research show up which remember that's that's what the Hebrew culture calls a Holocaust. A Holocaust, you know, literally meaning people burning. They they really don't. The Jewish culture prefers us referring it to as Shoah, uh, HaShoah. Um, in that moment, there's a lot of writing that has taken place since then. And this conversation happens a lot. Like when they were in the concentration camps and could not eat what was being provided. Uh, not that there was much being provided, but you know, to not be able to sit still on Shabbat on Sabbath. Uh, what, what do you do uh, on Shabbat when you can't when you can't practice what you believe just because of what you believe? You know, so there's this. Will God hear us? There's this Mordecai in the back of their brain that's saying that if you don't do these things, then will God hear you? And there's a lot of conversation about that. It was a really great movie uh, with Robin Williams uh, about the radio show. Jacob the Liar. Jacob the Liar. That's right. Jacob the Liar. And uh, I, I've I've since rewatched that since I came back. And, and after you go to the Shoah Museum, uh, it really sunk differently with me in the sense of what was it that he was lying actually about, right? He's telling the story of Esther in a lot of senses. How do we do this? What is this? You see this? I want you to, as you read Esther, to look at it from a different lens other than just Esther's the superhero that takes place throughout the thing. No, it, the story is about how do we live when we can't do the things that we've been told that we have to do for God to hear us. God will provide. And God's going to provide. Esther's at a point where she... Has influence, and, and there it is. And so here, you, you Esther has been raised to this place of influence, 
do do you use it to your own detriment? Like, because let's let's be honest about it. Esther could do these things, and the king could kill her. And then what good is it? Or does she use her influence to help not just her, but to all of her people? This is what Mordecai is saying. However, Mordecai, I think, uh, it, I don't know. It's it's just a, a very weird, if we look at it from our lens today, it's a very weird relationship. But that's the story that they're telling. So I, I uh, we, we only have, uh, chapter five is only 14 verses, but I, I don't want to rush that conversation because Esther... Uh, having the audience before the king is something that's kind of important that we need we need to to hash out and break down a little bit. So if you are okay, I, I would like to stop there today. Um, I'm not trying to end early, but I just I don't want to get into that where we can't talk about chapter five and six with some great detail. Um, is that is that okay, amenable to everybody? Can I ask a question? Yes. Stir the pot from previous. No, that's that's fine. I just I'm going to stop reading there because I don't want to start something and we won't be able to finish it. Yeah, I understand. The Bashi, when uh, she gets kicked out, yep, they make the edict that okay, every man should be in charge of his household now, mm -hmm. indicating that that was not the case before. That's right. Why interject any of that into this story? Uh, who do you think's writing this story? Guys are obviously well specifically ascribed as probably male. There you go. This. So uh this there's no absolutes in the world, but I, I think that it anyway, it just seems very strange, even in this story, that they would Yeah, no, no, it's it's like well, King, you really don't have any control over this, see. So now make an edict for everyone. Well, and and then so the part that I'm trying to be very, so Robert, you're opening up a huge can of worms. But Esther is the hero in this. I, I think Esther is the where, hero. Where I'm headed at is yes, and they turn it right back around and go. Maybe it's look how dumb they are. Yeah, so they follow that path the whole way through. So uh, it's when I say you're opening a huge can of worms, I'm I'm saying it in a good way because I think the the majority of the people that are attending our Bible study would agree with this. Um, you've got a, a patriarchal society putting together this book. And throughout the whole book, it puts women in their place. Here is Vashti. She does not want to get naked in front of everyone. And the king makes this edict. With help. With help. King's pretty wishy-washy in all this. King's extremely wishy-washy throughout this. Esther gets lifted up because Mordecai pushes her in that direction. Mordecai gets her into the, the thing. Mordecai doesn't bow down low to Haman, which then gets it so that all the Jews are getting ready to kill, get killed. And Mordecai goes to manipulates her, uh, manipulates Esther. And then Esther does what Mordecai says, which is a good Jewish woman, right? A good Jewish woman will do what her uncle tells her or do what the man tells her to do. And then the good Jewish woman then goes and does and saves all of the people because she did what Mordecai said. And people got their heads on pikes at the end of it because, well, she did what she was told. I, I'm trying to not be 
pessimistic, but there is a there is a sense of this. And it's not just the fact that she's Jewish. It's just that the role of women should be subservient to the man telling them what to do. And, and this is a huge part about this story that we just don't ever bring out. We're like, oh, she's so awesome. I'm like, <laughs> yes, she is. In the circumstances that she finds herself in, <clears throat> she is. It's just, and, and I struggle with this all the time. That's why I brought up the fact that she's not married. Yeah, right. Everybody says, oh, she's queen, so she's married. Yeah. Well, maybe, but it doesn't ever say. And, yeah. <clears throat> so and that the, keep, keeps her on one side of the law. I mean, the good side of the law. And this, anyway, all that being said, you know, you tend, I tend to look at it in the world that we live in today. That's right. Which none of that makes any sense to me. I it, mean, it, it can't. I mean, you know, it's other than, again, back to who's writing it and everything, it just, I guess. So I, I see Mordecai is putting Esther into the position of power um, as a as a prophecy of the fact that they were going to need a person in power. You know, kind of a uh, we're going to put her here and, and I'm not sure why God wants me to have her there, but that, that, that she needs to be there. And then when the time comes and they need someone, I don't know that she's blindly following his lead. I think she is a person who's able to save her people and knows that she can do that. And as a mother, um, me as a mother, if, if I'm in the position to save my children, I'm going to save my children. You know, I'm, 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 I'm going to be the protector because mothers do that. And, and she's not a mother, but she's she's a woman who has those feelings of, of taking care of those around her. So I'm not sure she was manipulated as much as she was fearful, but willing to answer with the, the, the demands that were going to be made of her. When she becomes queen, she has, has more power than Mordecai, right? More power and influence than Mordecai ever could, I would imagine, because yes. she's married to the king or the queen of the king, which <laughs> sounds like married to me, but um I mean she's still uh obey is, is obedient to Mordecai. But she, uh I think she, technically she might have more power than him at this point. I guess that's why he went to her. But he hasn't seen her in 30 days. The king. The king. That's right. right. Yeah. And there's no indication of how much power Mordecai has or doesn't have. I did interject that I think he has some because he gets inside the he gets close to the harem where he could he saved I the mean, king. Yeah. I mean he's he's he I mean he's he saved the king. He but before that he was he was at the gates. I mean somehow he, they he, let him in a there. little bit deeper than yeah. than most. So he's I so, I fall back on two also in all this just take go down another rabbit trail. This seems to be a bit of the stereotype that the Jewish, they tend in the Bible, they're smarter. You know, they they have, you know, Joseph was just unbelievably good looking and strong and everything you'd ever want to be. They tend to be smarter than their opponents. I'll put it that way. And I think they're trying to, I mean, you know, I think some of it is turning back on, and I'm going to say Mordecai or Esther as to how smart they are in not acknowledging God's.
presence in this time. Mordecai's with somewhat of a threat is bringing that into play. Mm -hmm. But like Kim said, you know, it's that him manipulating more so than saying, hey, you know, well, God will provide. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can start to I, see why this book is controversial at the time when they're deciding whether or not to put it in the Bible or not. This is this is an interesting conversation that we we could have. I mean, and is being done in academic circles for the last, like, gosh, for 150 years. And even to the point where they were trying to decide whether this book came in, because, you know, like Pam said, there's a there's an aspect of profit here. There's an aspect of uh, following Torah here. There's an aspect of this. And there's really no divine voice. Right. God has not spoken to. God has not said this. It is humans interacting as one could make the argument to go with Pam's suggestion is maybe she's following the role like Tamar did uh, with Judah. Maybe maybe it's the uh, I never can remember the name of the lady that was at the she was the uh, prostitute that was letting was letting in the spies for Joshua. Right Rahab. Uh, so Rahab, the prostitute, maybe maybe she's following these things because God did that so she would they would protect the people. So like Esther gets elevated because of this. Right. Which is beautiful. And in spite of the man, this happens, you know, so it's, it's a it's a but you could see like even here we are in chapter five. We're not we haven't even read chapter five yet. You could see why this was a controversial book about being put into the canon. You could also see why it was such an important book for the culture that they wrote it in Hebrew and in Greek. And all of a sudden it was like, oh man, what a great conversation. What is the role of our faith in the midst of dot, dot, dot. There's a little video that Robert found that's pretty good. The, the very end of it says the point. What's the point? Despite exile, God's absence and um, Israel's moral uh, compromise, God has not abandoned his people. That's the, the poison. And I'm gonna show, I'll show you guys where this is. It's a little 10 minute hand-drawn cartoon type thing, video, not a cartoon, but a, anyway, it's it's very, very good. It starts off what, you know, what's in this book? What, what Why is it here? What's missing from the book and, and how they correlate to each other. But anyway, I'll show you where, where you can find that before you leave if you want to watch it. But um, that, like the last line there, in the midst of exile and all of this, God still is with his people. So even in this story, haven't some that haven't some of them went back to the country? Or I mean, we don't know. Okay, I thought they they had a they had a choice, and it was like, well, we've been here X hundred amount of years. Yeah, this kind is comfortable. Same thing echoing the Exodus. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people. Why are we doing this? Right. This this is one of those stories that leaves it wide open and just lets you make a guess. I'm going to stop the recording. Okay.